Let us pray. God, you meet us where familiar story and unexpected newness embrace for a kiss. Settle us in for an encounter with your word spoken and proclaimed. May we be open to your spirit. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Today, we will explore the parable of the prodigal and his brother, a unique story to Luke's gospel. However, it's important to be aware that this parable is shared immediately following the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep and followed by the parable of the dishonest manager. The religious leaders and scribes were grumbling amongst themselves because the people Jesus was associating with were considered particularly unsavory, unsuitable, and unstable. So he proceeds to share all four stories in a row to upend the notion that God only welcomes the repentance of those who are deemed worthy of such forgiveness. Locating this single story of the prodigal and his brother within the larger narrative helps us navigate this lengthy conversation and better understand this parable as one of the many stories Jesus is teaching on God's amazing celebration of any repentant heart. So let's dive in. This is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, and then we will jump to verse 11. So if you're following along, that is on page 73 in the New Testament section of your pew Bible. Let us listen now for God's word to us this day. All of the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told this parable. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property with dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread and enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. He ran and put his, while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. The father ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, 
Bring out a robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. And the slave replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then the older son became angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has come back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In August 2011, I traveled to Stony Point, New York to attend orientation and training to serve as a PCUSA young adult volunteer. I would be traveling to Kerala, India to serve at a retirement community and home for the destitute. Young people from across our denomination and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America attended this together. Our trainers worked hard with us, inviting us to personally reflect as we were heading out to serve. We learned that missionary work can be messy if we are not careful to be aware of our inerrant bias and privilege as people from the West. Mission work can also help us to discover the single stories we have told ourselves about God and the rest of the modern world. This notion of the single story was first introduced during our orientation in New York. Together, we watched novelist Chimamanda Adichie debut her TED Talk. What I learned is that the danger of a single story, of one perspective, can lead us to default assumptions and misunderstandings. For Chimamanda, her story was from the perspective of British and American children's books, where children did not resemble her chocolate skin and kinky hair. As a result, she wrote stories about the kinds of things she was reading. Chimamanda reflected in her TED Talk that all of the characters in the books she read were white and blue-eyed. They played in the snow, they ate apples, and they talked about the weather. This, she says, despite the fact that she lived in Nigeria, where they didn't have snow. They ate mangoes, and they never talked about the weather because there was no need to. This is how impressionable and vulnerable we are in the face of a story, she says. So what the discovery of African writers, who people people who were more like me, did for me was this. It saved me from having a single story of what books are. 
What single stories have influenced your understanding of your family of origin or your neighborhood? What stories have you been told that influence your perspective on matters of immigration or social justice or climate change? During this introspective season of Lent, we are invited to consider the single stories that we cling to as people of faith, and perhaps to consider the ones that no longer fit into our developing understanding of God, the movement of the Spirit, and the call to follow Jesus. Today, we are invited into such a story of repentance and absurd grace in this classic parable of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal is wrought with messy and complex characters who would not be featured on their high school yearbook superlative page. This prodigal, wayward, younger child, separated, squandered, suffered, and then ultimately submitted that he was wrong. Repentance moves our story forward, welcomed by radical forgiveness unanswered questions, and celebration. This brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Jesus reminds his hearers that God celebrates the repentant heart with unexpected radical grace and continues to seek after the heart of each of us, like a woman who loses a coin and a shepherd eager to return the lost sheep to the flock. If we were to accept this single story of the wasteful son at face value, the message on what it looks like to repent, we might miss the gift of radical, absurd grace that Jesus is telling his audience. Forgiveness and grace follow repentance. And God welcomes those once lost and now found with joyous celebration. The artist Rembrandt, painted his final canvas, The Return of the Prodigal Son, between the years of 1661 and 1669. It's a masterpiece of light and darkness. The son is pictured kneeling into his father's embrace. His cloak is obviously ripped and tattered. His left shoe has been worn to expose a bare foot. His head is shaven and he is beardless, in stark contrast to the long, curly hair and pronounced beards of his father and older brother. It is as if there is silence in the room, and we enter right after the son's confession. Modern scholarship reminds us that this embrace is one that might have never happened in religious life and society for Jesus, his followers, and those who are his adversaries. Cultures like first century Palestine were dominated by values of honor and shame, particularly in family relationships. Jesus' storytelling would have startled his hearers because of the actions of the son and the follow, father fall into the category of absurd. Asking for a family inheritance prior to the death of a figurehead might equate to telling his father, I wish you were dead going out to sow his wild oats, eating amongst pigs, and wishing to return to his family after such dishonor and shame and immaturity probably left his hearers gobsmacked. 
But what really drives home Jesus' point is the nuance of the father's response. Running to meet his child who was still way off, something a first century Palestinian man might never do. Embracing him without question. Kissing him and welcoming him home without the need for explanation. The prodigal love of the father goes against all cultural expectations. This single story has left a resounding impression on those who are following this rabbi Jesus because it upended the notion of who was invited to God's table and who received God's mercy and forgiveness in the face of repentance. This story and those around it expanded a vision of grace and acceptance for all and made those religious leaders and scribes grumble with discomfort. Jesus knew it was important to layer story after story, meaning upon meeting, to shatter those boundaries and ideals about repentance, forgiveness, and who receives God's favor. A single story was not enough. Because at risk were lives of people who were misunderstood, tax collectors, who were seen as traitors aiding the Roman government. Sinners included all sorts of individuals who might have been held in contempt by the religious elite at the time. But Jesus' table fellowship with those who fell outside of acceptable life, those who were messy and complicated and struggling, those who were lost and now found, demonstrates an amazing grace and radical acceptance from a God who before Jesus' witness was believed to require so much from believers. What single stories do we cling to when we consider our understanding of repentance, forgiveness, and God's amazing grace? What stories no longer fit our developing understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Does our understanding of repentance create room for everyone? Does our concept of God's grace include each of God's beloved in creation? John Newton, who authored the hymn Amazing Grace in 1772, also penned a pamphlet titled Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade, renouncing his former slave profession 34 years after leaving it. It describes the horrific conditions African people experienced on the ships, and Newton apologized for making a public statement so many years after participating in the trade. It will always be a subject of humiliation for me, he said, that I was once an active instrument in a business that at, that at which now my heart shudders. This beloved hymn is not titled Amazing Fairness though we may secretly wish that we worshipped a God who was fair. Instead, we are reminded over and over in Scripture that the good news of the gospel is God's amazing grace is amazing because it is for everyone, not just for those we think should receive it. God's amazing grace is amazing is because it's for everyone and not just for those we think should receive it. Perhaps we could all work to let go of a single story that we have created for ourselves. Perhaps this distortion has created a critical misunderstanding in our relationship with God and with one another. Imagine the possibility of living fully into the knowledge of amazing grace for all. 
Imagine the possibility of being welcomed again and again by a divine love where there is enough room for everyone at the table. Imagine the possibility of extravagant grace in the face of our broken, messy, and complicated selves. This is what God gives us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, where repentance is always met with forgiveness and welcome. May we cling fervently to this single story and share it at every opportunity. Amen.